Today's first reading from the book of Kings has both a simple and straightforward piece of practical advice, but seen in its larger context, it also has some profound theological implications as well. We come into the story at a rather dramatic point. The prophet Elijah has just had what we might say was the peak of his career as a prophet, even though he was very clear to say that wasn't a career. He was doing the will of the Lord. But when you look at it from that worldly standpoint, he just landed the biggest deal of his life. You might have heard the story before where Elijah confronts the prophets of the pagan god, the false god Baal. And he is the lone soldier against all of these people and this great group of false prophets that are worshiping this pagan god. And he puts their god, their beliefs, to the test. He says, if your god is the real god, this Baal, then command him to send fire down upon a sacrifice. And so he lets these pagan prophets do their thing. And they work all the day long with all of the tricks of their trade to try and call down fire upon this sacrifice to be consumed, to prove that their God is the true God. They're unsuccessful. Elijah then gets up and confident in his God as the true God, sets up his altar of sacrifice and pours water over the whole thing, just to drive the point home. He surrounds, floods the altar area, and then prays a very simple prayer. No magical tricks, no sensationalism. And sure enough, the one true God sends fire down onto this soggy, flooded altar and consumes the sacrifice. He's vindicated. The one lone prophet against the prevailing pagan worship. If you think for him, even with the Spirit of God, that must have taken great courage. It always takes great courage to be the odd one out and to stand up for what you believe is true. He knew that he was really risking his life. If this didn't work, if something went wrong, they'd have his head. This was a do-or-die kind of moment. And he experienced the victory of truth. And in fact, all of these pagan prophets, the false prophets, were slaughtered. And so, after thinking that he's finally done what he was supposed to do, he incurs the wrath of the queen, who is none too pleased that all of her prophets have been slaughtered. And so she comes after him, and he has to flee. He goes to the complete opposite side of uh, Israel. He goes all the way to the south, and then goes out into the desert to hide. And the man is at a loss. He did everything he was supposed to do, and everything that was supposed to happen happened. 
And he doesn't even get to enjoy that victory. He doesn't get a little break after that. But now he's being hunted. (laughs) And so this great success seems not so successful after all. He's right back in a place of feeling like a failure. Like nothing he does really makes a difference. Try as he might, he can't convert the people. He can't change hearts and minds. And so in the middle of the desert, he finds a tree, sits down, and begs for death. We've arrived at a very dramatic point. This is enough, Lord. Take my life. I'm no better than my father's. It's all worthless. It's pointless. I didn't succeed any better than they did. Just take me away. And in this great place of darkness, discouragement, depression, we find our first lesson. Because what happens here? What should we do, perhaps, when confronted with discouragement or disappointment? Take a nap and have a snack, and let's see what happens. (laughs) Honest to goodness, it's very straightforward. It's very practical. Perhaps that won't solve all your problems. It certainly didn't solve all of Elijah's, but it sure gave him a different perspective. Not a mental health professional, but I think most of them would agree. When we're having a bad day, when we're really stuck in discouragement, Why don't you try taking a nap, having a snack, and we'll go on from there. Thomas Aquinas, greatest theologian, great philosopher, says the same thing. When dealing with deep sorrow, what is his advice? Have a bath and take a nap. It's good, practical advice. And so if you take nothing away other than that from this reading today, it will have been a successful homily. (laughs) But this would be way too short for one of my homilies, so we shall go on. If you are discouraged by that, take a nap. (laughs) We'll see how things work. Because in the greater context of today's readings, there are much deeper theological lessons to be learned. Because remember, this summer, these four weeks, we're working through the sixth chapter of John, which is all about Jesus revealing the Eucharist to us. The gift of his flesh and blood. And these readings, when the lectionary was set up, were chosen intentionally to go together. The first reading and the gospel are always supposed to have some sort of intentional connection. And so we've been reading in the Old Testament readings about all sorts of bread miracles, which help to put Jesus's bread of life discourse into perspective. Right, We heard about the manna in the desert that God provided as his people wandered through the wilderness and he provided for their needs through this miraculous bread. We heard at the beginning of John chapter 6 Jesus' own bread miracle when he fed the multitudes with the multiplication of loaves and fishes. And today we have another bread miracle because when the angel comes to wake Elijah up from this nap. He says, eat and drink. 
Elijah looked, and there at his head was a hearth cake and a jug of water. More miraculous bread. Jesus, again, is leading us someplace. He's leading us from what have become kind of ordinary miracles, if you can say such a thing. We've got bread miracles in the Bible coming out of our ears. But this isn't about ordinary bread. It's not about ordinary food. He's leading us from something ordinary to something extraordinary. And in the gospel today, he references those Old Testament bread miracles. He says, your ancestors ate the manna in the desert, but they still died. It kept them them alive for a while. It sustained them. But in the end, they still died. I am the bread of life, he says. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat it and not die. Jesus refers to himself as the living bread. And he says, whoever eats this bread will live forever and the bread that I will give is my flesh for the life of the world. That those who eat this bread of life, those who eat the flesh of the Lord given for the salvation of the world shall never die. This is no ordinary bread. So what might we learn from the miraculous bread of Elijah that can teach us more about the living bread, the flesh of the Savior. I think there are three things in particular. First, for Elijah, this miraculous bread comes in the context of rest. He's found a shady tree in the desert, and he's laid down to rest. And so too for you and I, The bread of life comes in the context of rest. We call Sunday the Christian Sabbath, the Christian day of rest. And here we celebrate the Eucharist in that context. There was much ado in the last year about the obligation to attend Mass. And for some time, the obligation to attend Sunday Mass was dispensed from because the bishops judged that to be prudent. But they did not dispense us from the Sabbath, from the commandment to keep the Lord's Day holy. Can't really be dispensed from that. And so while we tend to worry about going to Mass or not going to Mass, and that portion that part of keeping the Lord's day holy, what we are doing right now is supposed to happen in a greater context of keeping the Lord's day holy. That Jesus speaks to us in his word and he feeds us with his body in the context of a day of rest. A day that is different from every other day. A day of rest which allows us to draw back away from the concerns and the anxieties 
of our daily life. There are so many things which occupy our mind, which take up our energy six days a week. And so the Lord, because he knows what's good for us, says one day you must rest. You must pause all of those other earthly things and realize that the world will continue to spin. That it is in fact not those good things that you occupy yourself with each and every day that makes the world go round. But it is the Lord who sets the world in motion and keeps all of us alive. It's a day to withdraw from our own business to focus on the Lord. A day of rest. This enables us to receive the gift of the living bread that has come down from heaven. Second, this miraculous hearth cake that the angel brings to Elijah revives him. Elijah is suicidal. This is as dramatic as it gets. This is the end of the line. And when the angel wakes him up, he says, just take this and eat it. And it's enough to revive him. He's no longer at the brink. He's able now to survive. And so too, the bread of life, the Eucharist, keeps us alive. It's the bare minimum that we need, the daily bread as we pray, that keeps our spirit going. It revives us when our heart has grown weary or weak. It gives us new life and new hope when we feel surrounded by darkness or tempted to despair. It's the nourishment we need to stay alive. That was the first effect of this bread for Elijah, and it's the first effect of the Eucharist for us. It keeps us going. And yet that's not enough. Because our third lesson comes when Elijah tries to go back to sleep. Thank you, Lord, for this hearth cake. Things might be all right after all. I'm just going to go back to bed now. We'll try this nap thing again, see what is there when I wake up next time. But the angel doesn't let him do that. He doesn't say, okay, you can just go back to sleep. He doesn't say, okay, you no longer want to die. That's good enough. But the angel calls him to more. He says, no, get up, eat again, drink again else the journey will be too long for you. That the angel has a journey for Elijah. Elijah gets up, he eats and drinks, and he walks 40 days and 40 nights to the mountain of God, Horeb. So he walks from one place where he has encountered the Lord to the next place, the mountain of God, where he will encounter the Lord again. That he has a mission an intentional journey. 
And so too for you and I who are given the bread of life today. We're given the Eucharist. We're given the grace of God for a purpose. That God has some mission for you. Not just long term or in general. But this week. That's why God is giving you the bread of life today. If he had a mission for you that could wait a couple months, he'd say, all right, we'll wait a couple months, then I'll give you the food, and off you go. But no, he gives it to us each and every week. From one encounter with God to the other, he has a journey for us in between. He has some concrete way that he intends for you to build up his kingdom this week. He has some intentional plan for you to become a saint, to become a prophet, to love your neighbor. Each week is a little bit different, but with the same end goal and with the same source that God has some plan for you. He gives you this gift and he intends it to be used for something. And so what is God's mission for you and I this week. Next week, we'll come right back here to eat and drink again so that we have the sustenance, the fuel we need for the next journey, for the next mission. But he's got something for us here and now as well. It's not enough just to spiritually survive. We can't just receive the bread of life and go back to sleep. Though a Sunday nap is not a bad thing, says this priest. (laughs) But we can't sleep the whole week through. He gives us this food for a reason. And when you come again to encounter the Lord next week, ask yourself, did I fulfill that purpose? Did I live that mission? Was I aware of it? Was I looking for it? Was I listening for it? Because he gives us the bread of life for purpose. It won't always be smooth sailing. Certainly wasn't for Elijah. We might be tempted to discouragement because we don't understand the mission. We might be tempted to frustration because... It doesn't seem to be working. We might be tempted by fear and anxiety because we don't feel up to the challenge. But the Lord gives us much more than manna. He does something much greater than the multiplication of loaves and fishes because here he gives us the bread of life. And the bread that I will give, he says, is my flesh. And receiving Jesus' very self, there's nothing that we can't do for the glory of God. Two messages from today's scripture. One, very practical, simple, and straightforward. Remember that in times of discouragement. Why don't you take a nap and have a snack and see what happens? That's good enough. But let's not miss the greater message that the church offers us today, 
by pairing this reading with the sixth chapter of John. Because it's not just about a nap and a snack after all. It's about a holy day of rest. It's about the bread of life, which is for us food for the journey. So as we go forth from receiving the bread of life today, as we enjoy the rest of this day of rest, let us wake up tomorrow guided by the angels and saints and set out on the journey the Lord has prepared for us this week, here and now. Let's endure the trials and tribulations knowing that we've been given the strength of God to confront any obstacle. And then... We'll meet here again next week, not on the mountain of God called Horeb, but in the church of God called St. Thomas More. And here he will feed us again. He will speak to us again. And he will send us forth on the next leg of our journey. And faithful each step of the way, from week to week, strengthened continuously by the food that leads to everlasting life, will reach the final destination of that journey, which is indeed life everlasting.